I had heard about this carnivore diet and I was like, okay, you know, if I'm going to add um, these animal foods back in, I wonder if, you know, to, to get the most rapid healing for myself, I should consider this. If, if I'll be honest, I said to myself, if I want to live, I, I've been feeling like literally I'm on death's door. I need to find out how I'm going to live and survive and be here for my wife and my family. And I was willing to try anything. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my very special guest, James, who has a absolutely fantastic story uh, that he wants to share with us. So James, if you can maybe take it away, give us your background and your story. Long version is perfectly fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the Meat Medic Podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, big fan of yours, really love the channel and uh, thank you. really like the content that you're putting out there. So again, thank you so much. Yeah, for your listeners that don't know me, um, I'm born and raised in the island of Bermuda, which is where I'm coming to you now from. Um, great place to be born and raised. Um, we're out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean here about, you know, I don't know how many thousands of miles off the coast of North Carolina. But essentially, my upbringing was, I was raised on the standard American diet, you know, a child of the, I'm 50 years old now, so a, ch a child of the 70s and 80s. Um, sort of, you know, um, I can't believe it's not butter and those type of things where fat was vilified. Uh, my mom was vegetarian. Um, my dad always ate meat so that we had some meat growing up when I was, um, you know, younger, albeit not a lot because my mom did most of the cooking and she just wouldn't really cook that much. Um, I ended up going away to boarding school, which is a really transformational time for me. And uh, then onward to university in Canada by virtue of my father being Canadian. Uh, whilst I was away at boarding school, I got really into physical fitness and sports and um, ate a lot of meat when I was away in, in school. Um, and then when I went to university, I met a young lady, as us men tend to do, and and she was vegetarian at the time. And you know, and good on her. It was, you know, back in the early 90s, there wasn't a lot of options out there for being vegetarian. You could try something. She kept eggs, but she had no other animal products, eggs and some dairy in her diet. And I sort of followed suit because at the time you were hearing a lot about the vegetarian diet and how healthy it was for you. Fast forward a little bit, um, graduated university. I actually, we no longer were together. Um, I came back to Bermuda and joined the working world, but I remained on the vegetarian diet and this went for decades. And uh, I was eating a lot of processed foods when I got back into the working world and was by myself as a young man. Um, it was easy because vegetarian was chips, vegetarian was processed cookies, you know, vegetarian wasn't any of what we now know are the healthy foods for us. Um, I should have noticed a lot of things wrong, but being a younger person, you don't really pay that much attention to your health at the time. You're thinking, I'm young, I can do anything just like, you know, I can knock my body into the ground and we're resilient and we could come back. Um, I had things happening to me now looking in hindsight, like a, a lot of episodes where I was passing out and um, I was overweight, quite, quite overweight. And it was because of all the processed garbage I now know that I was eating. Fast forward to uh, meeting my wife, um, which was in 2014, and she saw the way I was eating and thought, okay, there must be a healthier way than this. We both, um, she's from the restaurant industry, um, which is where I met her as a manager in a local sushi restaurant here, ironically. And she started looking at 
optimizing the vegetarian diet, if you will. So taking a lot of the processed garbage out and we came upon the vegan diet, which as you probably know, in 2014 or so was really having a big push and continues to have a big push. You, you talk about things like the documentaries that were coming out at the time, um, Cowspiracy, Forks Over Knives, Game Changers. Those are the things we were watching. And, you know, as, you know, emotional human beings, we sort of said, wow, this is pretty serious, you know, what's going on and sort of bought into that whole feed that was going on at that time. And we made the switch there and then said, look, we want to be healthier. We want to do things for the planet. And, you know, we want to do right by the animals as well, because some of the images were quite graphic as if you haven't seen any of those films, um, which are now I completely understand not representative on ag as a whole. And for the first couple of years, uh, Dr. Suresh, they my health was better. I, I, I tell people I my health, I felt much better. I started to lose the weight that I'd put on from eating all the processed garbage. I um, got into exercising again, which was really great. And my wife is a big uh, exerciser herself. My wife uh, felt so strongly about the vegan diet at the time that she actually became a fully certified vegan chef and started her own business based around the vegan lifestyle. And we went on like that for a couple of years. Um, then sort of around that fourth year and into the fifth year of veganism, I noticed, she didn't immediately, but I noticed my health start to deteriorate. First signs for me were the brain fog creeping in. Um, I was sitting at my desk at my job and I was like, I, I can't remember what, what am I doing here? Why am I sitting here? This is not like me. If I was studying for an exam, I couldn't remember simple things. And then I started to notice that my hair was falling out. Uh, my skin was cracking and very dry. My nails were very brittle. I said, okay, this is, this doesn't seem right, you know, and all my blood work up until that point had been immaculate. I had been receiving my annual checkups and gone to my GP. And then when I went back and said, look, these things are happening to me, my hair is falling out. You can clearly see it on, on my arms was falling out. My nails were cracking. And then my thyroid started to go uh, into hypothyroid um, and then swing back to hyper later on, which was pretty crazy. Um, but they were they were thinking I had autoimmune issues and ran a battery of tests on me, which came back inconclusive, albeit one, they did discover that I had had past infections of Epstein-Barr um, and sent me away. Um, I continued to, to deteriorate uh, so much so that I had to go on disability from my job. Um, I left, I remember was sort of November 2019, and I went away to the United States to get a second opinion. I was so severely sick, and please let me um, backtrack a little bit. One of the worst symptoms that I had that had flared was severe, severe constipation. No matter how much I was putting in my mouth, fiber-wise, um, I was not being able to use the bathroom. And it, it would go on for almost a week, 10 days sometimes, where I would not have a proper bowel movement, and it was very, very painful. I started to get bloating, and I continued to lose weight. That was a big key for me. No matter how much I was eating on this diet, I my weight was just going down and down. I was watching the scale. My friends were telling me I looked like I was dying. My wife was worried for me. My family was worried for me. So I took it upon myself to go away and get a second opinion. I can remember on the airplane, I was so ill and so scared. I, as soon as we got off the plane, I said, I've got to go to the emergency room. They immediately ordered a contrast uh, CT scan for me just to make sure there wasn't any blockages in my abdomen, which they didn't find, and then ordered a colonoscopy. Now, 
think of the timing here. We're at um, December 2019 now, just before the pandemic. I ended up having the colonoscopy, but they yet again found another bacterial infection, which happened to be uh, Shigella. And for those who don't know, Shigella is pretty serious. It causes bleeding from your bowels. I had that very terribly in amidst the constipation and amidst me being severely ill. And they couldn't perform it at that time because it's dangerous for the procedure. Um, and I'll stop in a minute to give you a chance to ask questions, but I'll get to the point it's where fine. <laughs> I ended up flying back home to Bermuda, still off my job, still too fatigued. I literally could not get out of bed. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just an emotionally draining time and really at a loss at what I was supposed to do because I thought I was doing all the right things for my body and mm -hmm. everything. There's, I thought there's no way this could be it. So I ended up finding a, another physician online who prescribed her healing these audio, autoimmune conditions by drinking three smoothies filled with kale, spinach, chia seeds, and turmeric three times a day, nothing else, and just blend these things up. I remember getting my wife getting out the Vitamix and <laughs> off she went. And it made me worse. It made me even worse to the point where I was literally in agony and in tears and, you know, angry most days because I couldn't think straight. I, I got down to 127 pounds and I ended up, again, many thanks to my wife. She said, look, maybe if you, you, and you have to, the backdrop to this is the pandemic had started at this point. This was March and April, 2020, and everything had locked down. Couldn't get to see my GP, couldn't go really off island or on our small island to do any more testing. The little small hospital that we have, they wanted to make sure was for emergencies only or COVID cases at the time. So I was desperate and she said, well, you should listen to some podcasts. Here we go. I had never listened to podcasts prior really. And it's things like this and, and th things like the Meet Medic podcast that allowed me to understand. I came across a presentation by the lady of Sally K. Norton, who I'm sure you're probably familiar with. Yeah. She's the oxalate expert. And I listened to that podcast or a YouTube presentation at the time and then dove into all her podcasts. It was called Lost Seasonality on the Overconsumption of Plants. And you can find it on YouTube if you Google that for your listeners. And what it said to me was, I probably have been doing this all incorrectly. <laughs> you know, when we look at the plants, their inherent toxicities, things like oxalates, lectins, phytates. Um, and I was literally bombing my poor digestive tract with the worst offenders constantly all day, every day. And then learning about how now the abundance of plants in our grocery stores that we get that are out of season from across the world, whereas ancestrally we only ate limited amounts of fruits and vegetables when they were in season, and we supplemented, or not supplemented, we only used plants as a supplement to a heavy meat diet if and when we needed them. And it just lit a spark in me to say, this is it. I think I've found my answer. And I started to go down the rabbit hole after rabbit hole, found Dr. Sean Baker and his um, thing on Joe Rogan, and then slowly started to add animal foods back in my diet and slowly regaining my strength. One of the first things that came back and one of the first things I ate again was uh, fish because it's more known to me here in Bermuda and my mental clarity started to lift. And I can remember being in tears with my wife saying, I think this is it. I can actually feel like I could think again. And yeah, I'll pause there for a minute if you have any questions. Dr. Yeah, Shrez. wow. I mean, yeah. I've, I've 
you know, I heard this on, on obviously Dr. Baker's podcast, but uh, it's such a you know, fantastic story. We're, we're only just, you know, scraping the surface of it. Um, were you having any supplements on your vegan diet? Were you taking, you know, like fish oils? Were you taking the, the B12, the, you know, the other supplements that the, the vegan people often need to, to, to take? Um, were, were you taking those? Here's the crazy thing. Um, I was because I, I had read enough to understand that the, the vegan diet was insufficient in B12, especially, and other nutrients like omega-3s. But I, I, of course, being the dogmatic vegan person that I was at the time, didn't want any harm to come to animals and went for the plant-based versions of omega-3s, things like, I forget what they had, um, but you know, you had things like algae oils and then the, the B12 that was derived from plants, which I now know did not have a very big impact on, if at all, on on the my my vitamin and mineral level yeah no because it's interesting because i mean uh vegans obviously uh, you know people that follow a heavy plant-based diet you know they, they they typically know that they need to supplement these things they know they're going to get unwell they know that they are deficient otherwise which always uh, you know i for, as as a as a doctor i just i can't understand why people promote a diet that is known to lack the basic essentials for human life. I mean, it just that, that just makes no sense to me. Yep. You know, saying that this is a, a healthy diet, yet it lacks essential nutrients. It lacks essentials for life. And if you carry on eating it this way, you will die. How is that inherently a healthy diet? That just, it makes no sense to me. Um, you can argue, yes, fine, you can, you can supplement it and so forth. And you can argue that we have these tools nowadays, and that's what they would argue. Well, we, we can supplemented therefore it can be a healthy diet and okay i can see the reasoning there but you know at, at its basis yeah i mean the fact that it just lacks essential nutrients for life kind of should give you some warning that maybe this is not actually a healthy diet at, it, at its core um but you were you were eating you, you were you were taking those vitamins you were taking those supplements and so on and, and obviously yeah if you're coming from a vegan perspective you're wanting to minimize harm to animals and i i understand that of course nobody really wishes harm on animals um you would you would have gone for those those plant-based versions um i'm intrigued uh, obviously you at some point you know kind of saw the light um and decided that maybe this was your diet that was causing a problem how did you come to that realization? Was that your own realization, or was that a doctor telling you that this that this was this was harming you? No, what what I did was, and again, just liking back to that Sally Norton presentation, I first realized that plants are not all they're cracked up to be. Let's say that um, I thought, given what all I had understood, that you could get all your nutrition, be ha happy and healthy from eating only plants, that's it, nothing else. And you hit the nail on the head, Dr. Suresh, when you said any diet that you have to supplement with is inherently deficient. And I understand that now. And that's the amazing thing about carnivore is you really don't because the nutrients are so bioavailable and readily made to us. And you can get it in various you know, bioavailable forms for, for whichever version of carnivore you choose to do. But to answer your question more directly, once I found out that plants could be, had been harming me, and then that animal foods are the lowest in any sort of defense, you know, they're so bioavailable, as I mentioned to us, that I thought, yeah, I 
probably should go back to eating fish, which I, I ate on the vegetarian diet, being from Bermuda, we're surrounded by water. It was the most known of the animal foods to me. So my first sort of foray back into eating meat again after decades was some fish. And even that little bit, I know there's been other um, folks that said when they had their first bite of meat and it was, I remember one particular gentleman said he had salmon and his he had a wet dream the next morning or something like that. But my brain, <laughs> it was, it was, it was uh, honestly, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He said, um, because another thing that the listeners should recognize is that your libido goes in the toilet. Uh, when you are on a plant-based diet, you, the building blocks mm. for testosterone and hormones are all the, the saturated fats and vitamins D and A and K that we need to produce hormones. And I had, um, I, now I know in hindsight that my wife and I were trying to get pregnant they were, and we never could conceive. And I was always low sperm count, low motility, everything on the vegan diet for those four years, five years, almost six. And you know, it's been talked about time and again, how I've, I've, I've had a few interviews myself with other ex-vegans and your libido just disappears. Um, mm -hmm. You become very estrogen dominant. I have found myself crying all the time. I know it was a stressful situation, but I was more emotional than I've ever been as a man in my life. It was, it was just crazy, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's very interesting. Uh, I heard you mention that, of course, on Dr. Baker's podcast. Uh, I gather that you decided, just unfortunately, it wasn't going to, wasn't going to happen for, for yourself and, and your wife now. Um, I guess you probably haven't done another semen analysis, you know, on, on carnivore then. No, I haven't. But, you know, it's interesting that I was actually thinking about doing it. Um, I can tell you anecdotally that my libido is back full force, even at 50 years old now. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it would be interesting to me if we did, would would there still uh, would I have the ability to do that? So I, if I do, I'll yeah. keep you posted. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know, knowledge knowledge is power. I think with these things, and, and perhaps for for yourself and, and and your wife now, yeah, maybe maybe the time has passed, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah for your own knowledge, of course, yeah. Whether you want to torture yourself with that knowledge, I, I, I'm not sure. But um, so so you kind of uh, your wife, I think you said your wife mentioned really just just get onto some podcast, listen listen to some some people talking about health. Did you specifically seek out any particular type of podcast? Did you specifically go and seek out, you know, Sally Norton, Oxalates, you know, the, the dangers of a plant-based diet? Did you go and seek out, you know, animal-based uh, nutrition diets, uh, you know, podcasts? Or was it just, were you just looking for, for health information in, in general? No, once I understood that animal foods are, are, have the least oxalates, are the most nutritious for us. And again, that was a lot through Dr. Baker. And I happened upon Dr. Baker because I had heard about this carnivore diet and I was like, okay, you know, if I'm going to add um, these animal foods back in, I wonder if, you know, to, to get the most rapid healing for myself, I should consider this. If, if I'll be honest, I said to myself, if I want to live I, I've been feeling like literally I'm on death's door. I need to find out how I'm going to live and survive and be here for my wife and my family. And I was willing to try anything. So I was searching carnivore diet. I went down uh, carnivore cast with Scott uh, Nislinski, who's probably known to you and listened to all his stuff. I, I went down Dr. Baker's Rivero program and listened to all his stuff. And the more I listened, the more I understood and the more I felt like Oh, James, you fool. <laughs> I really did. I said, you know, and, and I understand completely folks who, who went vegan for 
all the right reasons and understand that. But when you when you really peel back the layers on how we've been sort of programmed both, you know, nutritionally through dietary guidelines and the fat vilification and, you know, blaming fat for what the sugar has done for us for years and processed yeah. foods, it's it's a shame. And I'm just glad I at least found my way out now. There are still folks that are still trudging on and still sticking dogmatically to the vegan diet that I know. And I warn them, as you probably heard me on Dr. Baker, that it, it, it may not be now, it may not be tomorrow, but it will catch up with you. Dr. Baker himself has said he's seen vegans for 40 years that said, you know, I, I'm great, I'm great. Two years later, they come to him saying, yeah, I, my health went off a cliff. Even, it just depends mm -hmm. on your constitution prior, right? Yeah, and that's that's very interesting. And I know that's one criticism, of course, that that carnivore diet gets as well is, you know, well, show me show me the long term data, you know, show me the long term studies and so forth. And we have to admit there isn't really any long term long term data. There's no long term studies. Um, you're not going to get that randomized control trial uh, for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You know, the whole of someone's life. Um, but the same can be said for plant based diets. You know, there's 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 no long term randomized control trials for plant based diets. Uh, they they just don't exist. Um, you know, maybe maybe a couple of years at absolute most, but these are not randomized control trials anyway. These are usually observational studies. Um, so, uh, but anecdotally, there are people out there, uh, you know, like yourself, they've been doing it for a while. Dr. Baker's been doing it for a while. You know, Dr. Anthony Chafee, Dr. Ken Berry, these people, Dr. Paul Saladino, uh, have been doing it for for a long time, uh, and seemingly they are very healthy. They're they're feeling very well with no problems, and certainly. Yeah, you get people with a with a plant based diet who who feel amazing, but then at some point they stop feeling amazing, um, and I think that must be pretty hard for them to accept. Uh, I imagine it takes a long time for people to come around and start to think, "Is this my diet that's actually causing the problem?" Because I mean, that must have been confronting for you as well to 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 go from. I mean, you said you were. Um, kind of almost sucked into the propaganda, the game changers, you know, uh, uh, etc. And these documentaries are, are very, um, uh, you know, enticing. They're they're very kind of convincing. I haven't really seen many of them myself. I've seen clips of them, and I can see why how they could be very very convincing for people. Um, that must have been difficult for you to kind of come to that realization of, you know, I've actually kind of harmed myself uh, by by following this diet. It certainly did. Uh, it certainly did. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of cognitive dissonance. I tell tell folks that, you know, in the beginning stages there, as I, I journeyed back into eating meat, it was, a, it was a difficult process. The fish, as I say, because it was more known to me, but I knew that I needed so much nutrition for my body that I had to, um, you know, God bless my mother-in-law. All young men should listen to their mother-in-law. She's from uh, Venezuela. And she told me in Spanish that I need to eat organ meat. So I actually, as crazy as it sounds, Dr. Suresh, I started, my first meat really was liver. And I'd heard how nutritionally uh, packed liver was. So, and I heard it from her and I thought, okay, here we go. So I started with liver. And those first few weeks on liver were game changing for my energy levels. You have to remember, I was 127 pounds pulling myself out of bed, getting my wife, who is almost just five feet tall, to help me to the bathroom and having the liver for the first few weeks and how nutrient dense that particular food is, I literally could feel my strength coming back. I could feel my brain turning on. I could feel my energy levels. I, I, had, I hadn't gone anywhere in over a year because I was so fatigued. And 
it was just a game-changing experience for me. And and my to be honest with you, my digestive tract was not ready to process um, really tougher cuts of meat or things like that. Because one of the things I need your listeners to understand is when you go vegan for as long as I did and those that go even longer, your stomach stops producing the hydrochloric acid that breaks down meat. You know, it, it just goes, okay, well, we just got a lot of fiber and carbs coming through. We don't really need that high acidic level to break down meat. And then... You know, moreover, with the oxalate damage and the fiber damage and all the things I had taken to be able to use the bathroom, my poor uh, large and small intestine were just really inflamed. So I need digestive help for a while as well. Um, I don't use them anymore, but I did for uh, the transitional period. Mm. So what, like extra digestive enzymes, uh, oxbile, things like that? Yeah, betaine HCL for, for a while. Yeah. My levels are really high. Um, I had to take, excuse me, I had to supplement with really high levels because my stomach acid, I had hypochlorhydria for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, but it, it was helpful. Yeah, I mean, the, the human body is very, you know, I often say to patients, you know, the human body is very intelligent and very stupid at the same time. Uh, it, it, it's, it really works on, on an efficiency kind of model. And, and it really, you know, most things in the body, you know, fundamentally have a basis of, you know, if you don't use it, you, 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 you lose it, basically. Um, we see this, uh, of course, there, you mentioned, of course, the hydrochloric acid, you know, the stomach acid there. Um, you know, bile, things like that. We see it, of course, with osteoporosis, you know, muscle, muscle mass, uh, brain function. I mean, we see it, we see it all over the body, really. Your body just says, well, if you're not going to use, utilize this, I'm going to stop expending energy to, to maintain it because I don't need to, you know, basically. Uh, and then of course you can run into these, these kinds of issues. Um, so yeah, I mean, organ meats, liver, that's a slightly <laughs> divisive topic in, in the carnivore community, I think secondary only to, you know, should you eat fruit uh, is possibly more, more divisive. Um, uh, carnivore community, you know, certainly there is a, a bit of, bit of disagreement, you know, out there. Um, are you, are you still eating the organ meats? Um, absolutely here. And Dr. Trish, I would like to just comment on that divide that happens in the carnivore community. Um, I'm of the belief that you should do best what works for you. Um, you know, experiment with yourself and find out what works. I always tell folks now, make sure you have the main framework of including animal nutrition in your diet. But if you want to include some plants, make them the least toxic ones that are out there. You know, I'm not saying you have to go gung-ho like I did and go carnivore. With that being said, as far as the organ meats, I... I understand from speaking to other folks that may have come from a different background that I did that organ meats aren't necessary, but I always tell folks, if you come from a severely malnourished, which I was um, background, that I believe they can help you out. They can be that crutch that you need to get over to be able to get the nutrition that you need. And I, I still use them. I utilize them. In fact, I have some liver in my fridge ready for tomorrow morning. I used to, I typically now just have some liver on the weekends. Um, the rest of the week, I have some bone marrow and other things. We can't, we don't unfortunately have a lot of access to organ meats here in Bermuda, but we can get kidney and liver. So I use that. And um, I do think that they can be part of a whole picture if you want to sort of, sort of use organs as an insurance policy to say you're getting all the vitamins that you need. Um, albeit, you know, a good ribeye has a, a ton of stuff and so do eggs, of course. And I'm sorry, the, the second part of your question was after the organ meats? Oh, it was really just, uh, I was going to ask, and are you eating fruits uh, as well? Thank you. Thank you. And it's an important part again, Dr. Suresh. Um, I have to, I have to let your listeners know that from what I understand to speaking from ac experts myself, like Sally Norton, 
what she's finding, and she's spoken to many, many people that have come from a plant-based background into the carnivore diet, you have what you call a honeymoon period because your body is so happy that you've not only one stopped bombing it with all the, the toxic superfoods as her book is called, but number two, you're so nutritionally bereft that it's saying, we'll take it. We need the fat. We need this. And your body's going, okay, thank goodness. About It can happen anywhere between three weeks to six months, three months to six months, but eventually what happens is that your body will start releasing a lot of these stored oxalates, um, you know, and she's seen this time and time again, and sure, as God made green apples, all pun intended, um, I started, I had the honeymoon period, I felt like I was the king of the castle once I went fully carnivore. I was putting on weight. I went from 127 pounds. My mental clarity was up. I turned 50, but I felt like I was in my 30s again. Literally, I was in the gym lifting heavier than I did 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden, I started getting these symptoms, and they were mimicking what had happened to me on my end-stage veganism. I thought, oh my goodness, this is not good. Uh, I said, what is happening here? Why is my body doing this? It had just been so great. And I reached out to Sally, who um, is just wonderful and got back to me. She said, hey, I've, I've seen this many times. What's happening is your body's releasing all these stored oxalates now called dumping, and you have to just include a little bit of them again and a little bit of carbohydrates to slow the process down because the body just wants to get rid of these things quickly. And you know, I, she's the expert in the area. I'm just repeating what she told me. So for myself, to answer your question in a long way, what, but I think is a very important so your listeners understand the context, is that I had to add back in some things and I have included some low oxalate fruits daily in my intake. I include blueberries, sometimes some local when I can get them bananas, which are medium oxalate. And it's been sort of a game changer for me because I was getting a lot of muscle cramps, electrolyte imbalances. As I mentioned, a lot of stiffness, joint pain, a little bit of the brain fog coming back in, but that stopped when I added those things back in. Albeit the rest of my meals are completely carnivore. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm a huge advocate for experimenting, you know, with yeah. with, with with our diet. I, and I say, you know, all my patients, my listeners, uh, you know, that we should experiment. We should find what works for us, not what works for you know, you know, your next door neighbor, your friend, you know, someone on the internet. You know, not what works for me, not what works for you, not what works for Dr. Baker, Dr. Saladino, Dr. Berry, whatever. It's what works for that person. And the only way you're going to really truly know is to actually experiment. Um, and, and I've seen doctors on, you know, like Twitter and so on saying, oh, this is, you know, like uh, this is unethical to ask people to to experiment with their diet on themselves. And, and I'm kind of thinking, hang on, like, unethical? Like we're not, we're not asking them to perform open heart surgery on themselves. Come on. Like, it's like, you know, <sighs> eat a banana, see if you feel better. Like, <laughs> that's, how is that unethical? I mean, what, what absolute garbage is that? It's just absolutely crazy. No, um, and pardon, pardon me for interrupting you, Dr. Suresh, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm just going to get on my soapbox for a minute. The fact that they say that you're experimenting through your diet is unethical. It just, it drives me a little crazy because, you know, yes. then you talk about unethical and then it's just seeing a patient for five minutes and throwing a prescription at them that it may not be based on anything that they have, like an, you know, yeah. you know, antidepressant. That's what happened to me. I literally saw a doctor that I, I no longer call my doctor. And I said, listen, I'm having all these terrible things. I, I've never been depressed. I'm depressed. I have a fun fungal infection. I'm yeast. Look at my tongue. I can tell my digestive tract's a mess. I'm bleeding from my bowels. You sound depressed. Here's an antidepressant. Call me in a few weeks. And I'm like, come on, what? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, with those things, you probably are going to feel low in your mood, 
Uh, yeah. But yeah. is that is that the root cause? I mean, I did a video recently, an episode, you know, talking about the, you know, the kind of why some of the reasons why doctors seem, you know, to just 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 go straight for the prescription. I mean, really, the, the number one reason I know people think there's, you know, incentives and kickbacks and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I don't necessarily want to get into that, you know, at the moment. I mean, I myself have never received a kickback. I never will receive a kickback, you know, for prescribing a drug. But we do have to acknowledge that there is heavy marketing, you know, to doctors, you know, sponsored lunches, sponsored dinners. Um, you know, some people are getting flown around the world to, you know, to conferences and so on. Now, those people are relatively few and far between, but the insidious nature of things like, you know, sponsored drug drug lunches and so forth. Uh, that's why I actually stopped, I stopped going to them because I naively used to think, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm immune to, to the marketing, uh, you know, and, uh, um it, it doesn't affect me i just i just go for the lunch and, and of course it was always like fast food or you know subway or something like garbage food of course um you know tasty but but garbage um i used to think yeah, I, i'm immune like i'm i'm above this like i'm i'm better than than the marketing of course yeah it's marketing for a reason i mean if they if it wasn't effective they wouldn't do it they're not going to spend money on something that's that's not working um and then one day I actually heard, uh, it came out from, from, uh, from a lunch and I heard one of the other doctors and, and this, this drug rep was basically saying, you know, pretty much just untrue yeah, information. And I, I heard one of the other doctors then, uh, just overheard them because where I was working at that time, the consultation rooms weren't sealed terribly, <laughs> terribly well. I could hear them and, uh, in the next door room and they were just repeating this information to the, to the patient. Uh, like it was just it was fact and it was it was totally incorrect and they'd literally heard this five minutes earlier from this from this uh, drug rep and and i just went no like what like that's that's the power this has like no i just i need to just not go to these you know sponsored lunches or anything anymore um but i got slightly off topic there but the the main reason i think is is, is time uh, and I think the yeah. medical system yeah. is 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 just broken in this regard. Uh, you know, here in Australia, you know, our, our kind of our medical insurance, you know, the state insurance, you know, really just it punishes doctors, it punishes patients for for spending longer, you know, with with them. The the longer the consults go, the less the government you know, rebate and give give the patient back, uh, which makes no sense because we all know longer consultations are more productive uh they, they lead to better health outcomes yet the government basically disincentivizes and actively punishes longer consultations i mean i gather it's pretty similar uh in in the united states uh i think you're technically not united states though bermuda is that right bermuda, bermuda is a uk territory i thought i heard you mention that last time my geography is terrible i was always terrible at geography so <laughs> i apologize <laughs> it's all right that's all right. Um, but i mean it's probably the same you know, pretty much all over the world. And I know a lot of US doctors complain bitterly about the insurance system, uh, having to fill out form after form after form just for, you know, just just to get the patient to be able to come back, uh, you know, more times than the insurance company says is is acceptable, you know, to spend longer with with their patients. So yeah, of course, they're going to just reach for that prescription because they, they just don't have the time. You know, and to and spend. I do... F- I do feel they are hamstrung in that regard, Dr. Suress. I really do. I, f- I felt... You know, I felt I understood why the doctor at the time had done that, and you know, we are a little bit off topic, but it's an important one. And just to show you mm-hmm. how deep I understand the rabbit hole goes, I used to be the vice president of a medical insurance company at one time, 
Oh, wow. Okay. So I, um, I saw all the claims coming through. I saw how long they spent with patients, you know, all the time and the coding that we had to put in to pay the claims and which claims were high. And, um, you know, ironically now I, I underwrite life insurance policies. Um, so I'm in a different area, um, but you know, sort of still the same angle in that I have to look at how people are diseased and sick and rate them accordingly based on what they apply for. And, it you are it, you hit the nail on the head once again very astutely and said the medical model and the system is broken inherently and that it you know we're here with the carnivore diet and what you're doing with the uh, meat medic podcast is sticking a spoke in the wheels to stop it from turning for a minute to say hey you know we need to take a closer look at diet and how what impact this has here and what's being you know put out there in you know the the online space is being healthy is not actually, but yet you have all these, you know, that one of the things and getting back on topic that I found was, you know, everything I searched for when I was looking for the healthiest, healthiest diet to heal myself was all plant-based. Nothing meat mm. immediately came out. That's why I found this doctor who prescribed the vegan smoothies three times a day because it healed autoimmune. It is the best diet for her, your health. And there was nothing about carnivore or eating meats or anything like that. It was all vilified. And even in that vegan doctor said, oh, meat, you know, it causes kidney stones, which I now know is ridiculous, but it's just, it's mm. crazy. It's crazy. And I'm sorry to go off on that tangent, but it's important. No, I, I think it absolutely is important. Uh, and this topic is so broad. I mean, we could we could probably talk for hours on, on this topic. Uh, our listeners might get a little bit bored with that, but <laughs> there's so much that we could potentially talk about. But you're absolutely right. I mean, anyone that's kind of, you know, feeling unwell, uh, and they often people, I mean, I see it all the time. People come to me, but, you know, they go to their doctors, they're feeling unwell, they're, they're feeling sick. They, they they can't put their finger on it. They've got so many just kind of random symptoms, seemingly. Um, they go to their doctors and they say, you know, I just I just don't feel well. And the doctors, you know, say, oh, you know, well, let's talk about it a little bit, do some basic history taking, basic examination. Nothing really ever comes up because they're not, you know, seriously, seriously unwell, mostly. Um, or at least they don't have a diagnosable condition. All the blood tests, everything come back fine. They're all in the reference ranges, ref reference ranges, and uh, and doctors say, oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe you're depressed or yeah something else. Or oh, I'm sure it'll probably you know, sort itself out. And then of course, yeah, time goes on. Nothing really, nothing really improves. Uh, and eventually, then they just get you know sicker and sicker and sicker. Often then put onto medications like antidepressants and so on because you know one of the biggest causes of of mental health illness is physical health illness. And if you're feeling just terrible your entire life, <laughs> you're not going to feel mentally well. And so then they go to the doctor and then they and then they kind of then they say, oh well it's just it's just depression, you know, or oh, you've got anxiety, and then they go and get that treated, and then they just never really you know improve they go online and then they look at you know what is going on with me how can i be healthy and the first you know whole page is just going to be go on a plant-based diet go and do all these vegan smoothies you know uh, you're going to look on youtube etc you're just going to be bombarded with all these you know go and juice everything uh so they go and do it and then they get more and more unwell they they go back online and what do they see go on a vegan diet do it harder do it more do more juicing which I think was was kind of your experience, you know, just just keep pushing this thing. Well, you're just not doing it enough. You need to do it harder and harder and harder. And they get sicker and sicker and sicker. And eventually then they usually just say, well, I'm just going to give up because nothing's working. Uh, but they're never, they're never going to come across, well, maybe actually just eating more meat, more animal-based nutrition, more whole food animal-based is going to maybe help you. And what I'm trying to do 
with this channel and I know what others are trying to do is is really like you said just put a spoke in that wheel to stop it turning and just say hang on let's just look at this and let's just think about this logically if what you know you're eating is harming you change what you're eating <laughs> you know it's this eureka moment that isn't that complicated it just requires someone to actually think could it be your diet that's actually causing a problem and yep. it may not be the first thing that we that we go to you know we rule out other things but then at some point i mean i always bring it back to the diet with the patients the problem is a lot of doctors don't because they, they don't have the time or the knowledge uh you know i don't have every every answer for every patient but i just pose that question you know could it be your diet well the answer is yes i mean because diet affects quite literally everything uh they come in with a physical health issue i say look could it be your diet they come in with eczema could it be your diet they come in with mental health issues depression anxiety could it be your diet well yes <laughs> it absolutely could be let's look at your diet what are you eating let's make some changes let's experiment see what happens uh the problem is yeah the internet i think has 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 uh, something to answer for here yeah um, um, i i just want to say at this juncture uh, uh, dr suresh is that number one thank you for doing what you're doing um it's really really important work really important work because there is so much misinformation out there as we're talking about that people fall victim to so i appreciate do you doing what you're doing and being a physician that is advocating for whole foods animal based nutrition it's really important um second of all i just want to take a second to tell the listeners what and i call it nothing short of miraculous my recovery was literally as you heard me mention earlier i went from 127 pounds bed bound uh, viral and and bacterial infections candida infections hair falling out nails and skin cracking looking like i was on death's door to adding animal foods back in transitioning albeit the transition period was a little rough my digestion and otherwise an oxalate dumping but a year later being 175 pounds of muscle now um and feeling better than i ever have in my life from simply changing my diet and i had tried protocol after protocol and went down and taken medic medications antifungals antivirals copious amounts of ciprofloxacin that i thought you know was just prescribed because they thought oh, i had yeah. a bacterial infection which destroyed mm -hmm. my poor gut and i talk i i must have taken bottles after bottles of cipro that i was prescribed and the diet was the key yeah No, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned oxalate dumping, you know, a couple of times. I mean, this is something that I'm not sure if I've experienced yet. I've been kind of on now for about four and a half months now, uh, coming up to five soon, actually. And I certainly, about I don't know, two months in, I suddenly just started for no, I don't know, reason. Like my skin was absolutely perfect, and then just for absolutely no reason, I just started getting really bad acne across my forehead. Now I believe that was probably oxalates because there's absolutely no reason why that would have happened. And then about a week about uh, maybe a week or two later it just kind of just disappeared again. Um and at the same time I did kind of feel a bit like oh am I am I actually well? Like I'm not kind of feeling as as amazing as I was. Um and then it kind of went away. Um I don't believe I had a particularly high oxalate diet, so maybe that's why my symptoms were relatively mild. I am a bit concerned <laughs> at some point I might go through this oxalate dumping uh there. Um anyone that's not sure you know what oxalate dumping is as as James was saying it's pretty much this kind of stored oxalates within our body uh get stored within the cells. Uh when we then are not consuming those oxalates at some point the body you know kind of starts to say well actually let's just let's just get rid of them. Now whether that's 
on a use it or lose it kind of process. Again, I don't know. I'm not aware there's any intrinsic value in oxalates within the body. Um, but maybe it's some sort of, you know, osmosis kind of, you know, gradient issue. Uh, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but when those oxalates are going into the body, of course they can cause a problem. And then when they're coming out of the body, they can cause a problem. Uh, and if you had a very, very high oxalate diet, and I know Sally Norton talks a lot about this as well, um, is then that, that gradient is going to be very large and you're going to get quite a lot of symptoms. So she typically recommends actually a low, a low ox diet. Uh, when you're kind of yeah starting to come out of that, and some people I know she's spoken about you know uh, quite a long you know kind of washout period there. Um, you mentioned a few times there, James, that you were about 100 125 pounds. How how tall are you? Six foot two. <laughs> okay, so six two, one twenty five pounds. I mean, for our kind of metric listeners out there, that's approximately what like 50, 55 kilos or so. Uh, at six foot two, like that, that's slim. Very, very slim. To give your listeners a graphic, um, I went down to a 27 inch waist and I was wearing young men's read boys underwear at the time because it, my waist was so small. I couldn't even fit into small men's underwear. It was, it was terrible. It was terrible. And me coming from at my height of vegetarian when I was sort of overweight, if you will, being about 215, 220 pounds. And then my healthy weight I now know is around 180. So I'm still trying to put back on weight. Um, and it's it's a process for me. I have to eat much more than the average person who starts carnivore to begin with. Again, I go back to being malnourished. Um, so I'm trying to still put on weight. I'm back up to 172 now approximately, which I feel great on, but I want to get about to 180, 185. It's really where I feel my best at six foot two and muscle. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my my goals are around about 160. I mean, I'm like yeah. uh, 66 kilos, I think, at the moment. So, um, but I've still got a little bit of fat to lose and a bit a bit of muscle to gain. But I'm, I'm only about five five eight and a half, five nine, so a little bit smaller than you. But yeah, I mean, one one twenty five pounds. I mean, you must have looked pretty emaciated. I mean, what what were your friends and and family kind of saying i mean were they saying anything to you were they too scared to to mention that you looked this this ill like you think you actually you said they, they kind of told you that you looked like you were dying yeah um so my family was very very concerned um very concerned my wife was very concerned um i you know when you look at yourself in the mirror every day because you see yourself you don't see the gradual shock, but you can imagine the shock on, let's say, my parents' faces who hadn't seen me sometime. The long story is that they got stuck in the US for a while when COVID hit because they were traveling and just got stuck there. They have a home, second home up there. They didn't come back to see me until I was very, very thin. And it was like, what has happened to you? What is happening to you? You know, you need to see the doctor. You need to go. I said, like, I've been to the doctor. They don't have an answer. Um, When the, the few times that I could actually venture out when COVID was around to go get with my wife and get in the car and get groceries. And I ran across someone who's been a longtime friend of mine who hadn't seen me in a while. They, they thought things were much worse and thought that I had much worse disease than I did. And without saying the dreaded cancer word, which I just did, I mean, that's what they thought that I had. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I mean, it must've been pretty confronting for other people. And then, uh, I mean, how, how did, did you take that? I mean, people saying, you know, you look this, this sick or what is going on? What was, what was your mentality at that point then? You know, I, it, it made me very sad, um, because at the, the times that I heard it, 
I knew at that point that it, what I had done to myself, um, or or sorry, let me rephrase that. I knew then that I I didn't. I didn't know what was going on, so it just made me very depressed and even more anxious to figure out what was happening to me. And it was just, it was, it was very saddening. And, you know, it, it I, I have to tell you, Dr. Therese, you know, you talked about the mental side of this uh, for people um, and how diet can impact. Um, you know, there was a lot of stresses, but I was not a fun person to be around because I was literally so anxious all the time. My sleep was so impacted because I was being woken up every hour on the hour by my body being so stiff and so sore. I couldn't get comfortable at night. I, I was sleep deprived. I was anxious. I was depressed. And my mental state was just a mess. It was just a mess. And uh, completely, again, changed now, completely changed. Um, I'm back to my normal self. I call it, you know, you know James 2.0 now, the better version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I mean, a lot of people when they start to incorporate more more meat, um, and I, I I feel like uh, more red meat is is often better in this regard with patients. Uh, they do they just feel mentally better. Uh, they they just they come back and report they just feel better. They feel mentally clearer, uh, less brain fog and so forth. But but not just uh, kind of cognitively, just 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 mentally, emotionally, they feel more stable. Uh, they feel more uh, less 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 anxious, you know, uh, better mood, less depressed, less emotional, um, which is which is really fascinating. And that's that's just eating more red meat. That's not even going carnivore. That's just just more red meat in their diet. Uh, I mean, my only assumption there is maybe it's the animal fats, you know, the cholesterol, the saturated fat, you know, giving their brain actually the nutrition substance it wants to repair itself and so on. Plus, maybe more tryptophan in their diet. We know, of course, plant-based diets very, very, very low in tryptophan, and tryptophan is converted to, you know, serotonin. Of course, then serotonin is our so-called kind of quote-unquote happy hormone, uh, and it's what a lot of these medications, you know, SSRI medications for depression and anxiety, are trying to boost those levels. Yet, if you're deficient in tryptophan, you know, you've got very low serotonin. Those medications aren't going to do as much, and you know, maybe if we actually have more tryptophan, more serotonin, we don't need those medications. And I certainly see this in, in clinical practice. Uh, again, there's no big randomized control trials for this, but I see it with my patients. And that's the only trial that I need myself. You know, if it works, great. What's the harm in eating more red meat? I don't know. You know World Health Organization and so on says there's harm, but that's very much unproven and for the most part disproven. University of Adelaide here in Australia did a, a recent study uh, last year it looked at, I think it was 177 countries and you know, pretty much every single one across the board, um, red meat consumption was positively correlated with increased life expectancy and lower uh, all-cause morbidity and mortality. I mean, people lived longer and healthier the more red meat they ate. I mean, we don't need convincing of that. but <laughs> No, but it's, uh, it is, it's absolutely important for some folks to hear. I mean, that's a very powerful metric that you just stated yeah. that's that's very powerful it's huge. and and it goes against the grain of what is being put out there right now in terms of what meat can do for the human body it's it's so powerful and another thing that you touched on that i really appreciate is that you know perhaps and dr baker says this often as well is perhaps the most powerful metric of all is simply how you feel and everyone mm. that goes carnivore inevitably from a background that didn't include as much red meat as you said inevitably starts to feel better it's, it's, I've, I've come across so many people myself since I started my Instagram page and started my little podcast myself that I'm doing that have just said, it's been a game changer for my health and for my mood and for my life. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and this is reflected in uh, Harvard did a study last year. And, you know, to be fair, this was an epidemiological study. So it's not a randomized control trial or so on. But again, they looked at just over 2000 people. Um, I think it was something like 96% of people reported, um, 96 to 100% of people reported satisfaction with the diet. Um, I mean, that's, that's just unheard of. I mean, what I, again, I can't, don't know what the stats are off the top of my head, but how many people report satisfaction with a, with a vegan diet? <laughs> Probably not a hundred percent. Um, how many people, you know, like a hundred percent of patients with diabetes stopped their medications. I mean, this, uh, yes, to be fair, it's a self-reported observational study. And so it will attract criticism. But again, even if some of those people are lying, it's not going to be a hundred percent of people. You know, even fifty percent of people getting off medications for diabetes—that's just—that's just insane. You know, and that is essentially, well, in the long term, that would be curing type two diabetes. And there's doctors out there that still don't believe that type two diabetes can be cured, which just absolutely blows my mind. Uh, and it can be cured; it absolutely can be cured uh, through a proper diet, basically through proper lifestyle. Medications are never going to, never going to cure diabetes. They can, they can put it, you know, they can hold it at bay, they can treat it, but they're never going to cure it. And yet people are curing it with, you know, with, with a, with a, with a carnivore diet. Of course, any kind of low carb ketogenic diet can cure it. And to be fair, you could do that with a plant-based keto diet, very hard, but possible, but possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you show me a, a study on plant-based diets that has that kind of, <laughs> those kind of stats, like they just, they just don't exist. You know, most people drop out uh, because it's just not, it's not sustainable for them. They just feel terrible, you know, doing it, or they're just forced to eat food that they just really, really don't like. Um, I wonder if we can backtrack a little bit, James. Uh, you've mentioned oxalates a number of times, mm -hmm. and you mentioned, of course, other plant toxins like lectins, phytates, you know, and so forth. I wonder if you would like to maybe talk a little bit more about that, because that is often a sticking point I see with people. The idea that, that maybe things that they're eating in these plants are maybe actually not good for them. And maybe they not just maybe don't want to eat those plants, maybe they shouldn't eat those plants. I wonder if that's something that you can maybe expand on if you've got any knowledge in that area. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've done a, a lot of listening and a lot of research into the into the plant anti nutrients because I wanted to understand how much I had put in my body, you know, over the years. And Sally is very good in her book. She has, you know, where you can sort of gauge in milligrams how much, you know, is a, is a tolerable amount for the human body versus what is toxic. And I was at toxic over the thousands of milligram levels daily, which is no wonder I felt like I did. Um, but you know. You talk about lectins and phytates and these anti-nutrients that, that are found in plants. The listeners obviously understand that animals have their own defense, and that is usually either attacking us or running away, whereas plants cannot. So they produce chemicals and compounds to stop predation, stop uh, you know other animals from eating them, and and stop uh, other uh, things from eating you know their, their babies, their seeds especially, which are very the highest in these anti-nutrients. Um, Phytates and lectins are are bad. Um, they can be sort of uh, how do I put this? They they can be their impact can be minimalized through various 
means if you've off if if your listeners have heard of Dr. Stephen Gundry, he often talks about in his book The Plant Paradox talks about lectins and soaking the beans and and the nuts. Um, phytates are similar. You can sort of get some of those things out through blanching and and steaming. And but oxalates are a particularly tough one because. These little, they're essentially glass crystals, uh, shards of oxalic acid that form and bind with calcium in the plant. And the plant uses them for all kinds of things. You know, I'm understanding now through my own research how much the plants use them, not only for defense, but to, you know, uh, get nutrients out of the soil because they bind. Um, but they're much harder to, to get rid of by humans. There's essentially not really a good way if the plant is already high in oxalates to get rid of these things. So if you're eating those ones, and I'll list a few for your listeners here, things like sweet potatoes, Swiss chard, spinach, uh, rhubarb, um, and, and those are the leafy greens that are particularly high. Sorrel is another one. And then you go into the fruits, things like raspberries, blackberries, star fruits, kiwis, and I hate to tell your listeners this, it, it hurt me when I found out, but dark chocolate is particularly high in oxalate yeah. as well. Hmm. But again, once you ingest them, and you talked about it earlier, what the, the body doesn't know what to do with these things because they're almost like little daggers, defense daggers that the plants use. So what they do is they end up in old injury sites, they end up in your fascia and in your, your cells, they can actually harm us from a mitochondrial level, which is why you know your, your cells start being almost split apart by these things. And the more you, you do it, the body tries to sequester these things as they come in. Whereas the other toxins, there are ways you can, you know, I say minima, minimize their impact. But um, yeah, it, it all comes down to, you know, the, the plants protecting their progeny, their seeds. They, want, they don't want you to eat them. They want them to be spread so they can reproduce like any other living thing on this planet. <laughs> That's right, and I know Dr. Anthony Chafee, uh, the plant-free MD, who who is who got me into into carnivore, um, oh, nice. talks a lot of, talks a lot about this. Yeah, I went I went to see him at the low carb. Well, I went to see the low carb down under conference this year in in Australia in the Gold Coast, uh, and he was presenting his his plants are trying to kill you talk. Uh, I, I, I kind of I saw it on the on the page, and I just thought. I'm, there's absolutely no way I'm missing this lecture. Like I've I've got to go to this lecture. I didn't know anything about carnivore. I I had a patient who was doing carnivore. I didn't really know enough about it to kind of understand what was going on with it. But and I I you know I did the usual doctor thing of oh this is going to kill you and and so on. You know your cholesterol, your cholesterol, heart disease. Uh, you know and so forth. A bit embarrassing now, but you know I think as doctors that like, we have to learn as we're as we're as we're going along. Uh, I was actually contacted this this overnight by a, by a, a medical student, actually an undergrad medical student uh, in the states. I won't obviously say their name or anything, but yeah, and they were saying they they you know they they contacted me saying actually they they they're trying carnivore, they feel amazing, um, but they they're getting laughed at, you know, by their colleagues, by their mentors, by their teachers because oh this is a crazy stupid diet, like you're going to kill yourself and. You know, so even even like in medical school, undergrad school, like they're 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 just kind of indoctrinating people. You know that that, that meat is bad, saturated fat is bad, and so on. It's just oh, it's so infuriating. <laughs> Sorry, got got a little bit off topic there. Um, but yeah, you know the idea of of uh, I know Dr. Chafee talks about this. You know that that seeds are you know the the plant's offspring, uh, and his line I think is what animal what creature what living organism in the world in the universe if there's anything else out there don't necessarily get into that um is not going to defend its babies basically and as you said very rightly plants cannot 
move away. They have no kinetic defense. You know, you or I, a cow, someone goes and tries to take a bite out of a cow, it can kick you, it can run away, and it can, you know, do whatever it needs to do to try and protect itself. Plants can't do that. They have to kind of just sit there and be eaten. Now, okay, you can argue fruit maybe wants to be eaten to a certain extent. Um, and there's obviously some creatures out there who are uh, developed a symbiotic relationship with certain plants to then help to ferment the seeds and so on and so forth. Now, as far as I know, human beings don't really have have that symbiotic relationship with anything there. You could argue that fruits maybe are designed to be eaten. Um, I don't think we have that same argument for vegetables and, and you know nuts and, and so forth. Um, and as you said, you know the concentration of uh, in these anti-nutrients is is often highest in those seeds. Um, but this idea of, of of plant toxins is a very very real thing. Uh, you can't just go into the forest and eat random things because you'll probably get very sick and possibly die. I mean, most people know this. You can't just walk down the street and pick a leaf off off a bush and say, "Oh, I'm going to eat this. It looks tasty." Most people they. They, they know that inherently they just they don't even contemplate this um and yet they go home and they go to the store and oh that there's, there's there's a green leaf here i'm going to eat it because it's in it's in the store it must be good for me um you know that they they the idea that it can affect your mental health as well and i say this to people and they kind of look at me like really like how can it affect my mental health i say okay well what about cannabis you know what about and i'm not not recommending cannabis youtube no, but- please, please don't demonetize me um you know what, what about what about magic mushrooms? Like all these kinds of things, you know. And I'm not advocating for taking them, of course. But people might argue whether it's good or bad for you in terms of your mental health. But they all agree it affects your mental health. And uh, you know, the idea that that plants can be toxic. I mean, you go and eat like you know water hemlock. How long are you going to survive? A couple of minutes, <laughs> you know. And it's giving you seizures. So the idea that plants could give you seizures is not alien. Like we know these things can happen. It's just we put them into this category of, oh well, that plant can cause it. But but that's it. No, no other plant can cause it because that one does. Well, a lot of these things are shared across the plant species. You know, a lot of them have these toxins in. It's not just one plant that that has this issue. Um, and of course, plant toxins can cause cause a whole heap of heap of problems there physically and mentally. Uh, of course, you say that yeah, you, they can be they can be uh, reduced in terms of the effectiveness, and that's why things like kidney beans, you know, they're soaked in you know tin kidney beans soaked in water. We're going to cook them for a long time, cook them on a high heat, break down these lectins, because if you don't, like if you just go and eat raw kidney beans, eventually they will kill you. You have to eat quite a lot, but they'll make you very sick. They'll give you severe diarrhea, gastrointestinal symptoms, and so on. And if you eat enough of them, they, they will kill you. Yet we just happily eat them. Yep. And and you know, the, the thing about it, Dr. Suresh, is all this stuff now is ubiquitous. There's that word again. Everywhere you look, people are touting all these high, you know, spinach is the darling right now, yeah. as Sally calls it, you know, of, of the smoothie world and kale. And then I didn't even mention other high oxalate ones that are so out there now are the nuts, which we know like almonds and you get all these nut based Mm -hmm. milk now and people are just, and when you, you, you make these nuts into quote unquote milks, but I can't stand the term now that I understand what real dairy is supposed to be and (laughs) taste like, but it makes all these things more bioavailable. Like when I'm juicing and I used to juice all these greens, 
you know, our ancestors didn't go out there with a juicer and okay, we're you know, this this is making it so high, highly bioavailable. These toxins are just being blended at so high amounts. These smoothies I ate were not just a couple of leaves. These were bags of spinach prescribed by this person online. It's it's yeah. too much. Too much. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and again, you know, I just wish people would just think about what they're eating and and do some do some research, you know, and 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 look into these things because as you say, like things like spinach, I mean, it, you know, it's so full of anti nutrients, yet we're told to eat it because it's it's you know quote unquote good for us because of the nutrients in there. Yes, it's got nutrients in, but it's so full of anti nutrients and and other forms of toxins that at best it's it's just binding all those those nutrients. You know, like the iron. If you eat raw spinach, you don't get any iron because it's all it's all bound with with the oxalates you're going to get very little to no iron in fact some studies recommend suggest it can actually reduce your iron intake uh, reduce your iron levels if you're eating raw spinach so at the very least you should be putting some vinegar on it or, or, or blanching it you know cooking it something sauteing it but i would argue then even then okay you, you're minimizing these things but you're not taking it to zero it's still absolutely not still absolutely causing not. an issue and one um, of the things one of the things as well is that that the listeners may not realize is that in spinach, which is very high oxalate, when you eat it, it also, because oxalate, when it enters the body, binds with minerals, it demineralizes you. So you have to, when you've had a high oxalate background, you know, so you're losing your magnesium, potassium, and sodium as it binds yeah. with these things out uh, moving through the body because the, those particular uh, minerals are attracted to, to these crystals. It's, it's just a, it's a losing circle. Absolutely. I mean, calcium is another big deal as well there. I mean, so potentially yeah. oxalates, I haven't looked into this research myself, but potentially oxalates could contribute to things like osteoporosis. Uh, we know, of course, calcium oxalate uh, kidney stones, uh, for sure. Big big cause of kidney stones there with oxalates. Uh, they're in, implicated in, in potentially gout as well. Uh, and I've certainly seen references to them potentially being implicated in, in uh, things like breast cancer. Uh, now, how much of that is maybe causative? How much of it is, well, they're attracted, as you say, to the inflammation? Um, how much of it is causing inflammation? And how much of it is they're attracted to the inflammation? I'm not, I'm not sure. But, you know, these things are, are very, very serious, you know, very real. And oh, yeah, I just wish people could just actually know this kind of stuff and then just work out, well, maybe, you know, these things are not actually very good for us and i'm i'm a big believer and i think I've, I've heard people say this as well but i'm a big believer in 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 listening to our bodies you know using our senses to tell us what to eat i think as a as a species i mean uh, as far as i know no no animal on the planet is different you know why would we eat things or want to eat things why would things that taste good for us be bad for us now you can argue sugar tastes good <laughs> But it's bad for us. Yes, clearly, of course. We're not talking about industrialized, processed, manufactured, fake foods. You know, we're talking about things in its kind of raw, natural substance for the most part. Um, you know, going and just eating a sugar cane uh, it probably doesn't taste quite as nice as eating the sugar from the sugar cane, for example. Um, but then me, I mean, most people. You mentioned ribeye. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing like a ribeye only challenge at the moment, and it's just it's amazing just eating ribeyes all the time. I mean, who doesn't like a, a really nice ribeye? It just tastes so good. Does it? Does you know? Is it coincidence that this is one of the best cuts of meat that we can possibly eat for us in terms of the nutritional value? You know, is that coincidence? I don't believe it is. No. Some people swear that they like the taste of vegetables. Now, look, fair enough. If you 
genuinely love the taste of vegetables, fine, okay, I'll buy some people maybe do. But let's go back to childhood. Let's go back to babies, you know, to infants. What food do they want? What food do they happily take into their mouth? And what food do they violently <laughs> at times? I mean, anyone, I, I know you haven't got kids, and I, you know, I hope that's not a sore point for you to talk about it. No, but, no, it's all right. Quite fine. Um, you know, uh, most parents know, like, you give your kids vegetables early on. Like they're, they're going to hit the wall on the other side of the room, <laughs> like like they're just they're just going to throw them, and and they violently refuse these things. You know they they kind of look at it and go, what is what is this? Like okay, well, fine, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You're my parent, I trust you. You put it in their mouth, and it's just immediately no, no, it's gone. Don't like it. You know, if this was good for them, why would that be the case? To me, that makes no sense. Is it just okay? Well, you know, kids kids are just naughty. They don't they don't know what's good for them, or is it that actually they do know what's good for them, and they know that this is not? Like most of the time, you give them fruit, they'll eat it. You give them a piece of broccoli, like no, <laughs> <laughs> like, like you you give them like a juiced kale, like they're probably not going to drink that. No, you know, and I'm not recommending anyone gives their babies juice kale. Just if anyone's listening to this, um, I think that suggests to me anyway that maybe these kids, maybe these babies, they just inherently know these things are actually not that good for them. Maybe we should listen to our kids more. Completely agree. Completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> Completely I, I, yeah, agree. I mean, I, I, I just think you know that that should probably tell us something, uh, and I feel like we should learn more from our kids actually. And I say this to, to my patients, you know, as kids, we are naturally inquisitive. We question everything. We want to learn everything. We want to try everything. And we kind of know inherently what we want to eat, what we don't want to eat. We know when we want to eat and we know when we don't want to eat, you know, and again, ask any parent this, you know, oh, it's dinner time. Here's your food. No, I'm not hungry. Why are we forcing them to eat if they're not hungry? Maybe we should be listening to our kids and saying, well, just because it's dinner time doesn't mean we need to eat if we're not hungry. And that Very good point. Know, comes back to listening, listening to our bodies. So I think personally, like we we can learn a lot actually from our kids because they haven't been kind of uh, exposed to this idea of, well, you just need to eat because it's this time now. Or no, don't don't try and do things. You know, don't try and learn. Don't try and question things. Just accept. You know what what you're told. Uh, they're naturally inquisitive. They naturally just want to try different foods and so on. And they, I think they just inherently know what's good for them and what's what's not, not which is what's what's not good for them on the whole. Um, so I think we should. I think yeah, I think we should listen listen more to our kids. Um, sorry, I went on a little, a little bit of a rant there. <laughs> no, no, it's it's, it's really <laughs> I, good. I, I think I think it's important. Yeah. Uh, it's really good, Dr. Suresh, and I'll just add one small point to that is that I'm a pretty open guy. I'm a pretty, you know, as I said earlier, experiment with yourself, do what works for you. But, and I don't get very angry very often. I don't, but what does incense me a little bit is when I see parents forcing the vegan diet on young children that don't know any better and in the importance of animal foods and, you know, 
when their brains are developing and then they're at that young stage. I see videos of, of folks that have, you know, actually been, you know, sent to prison because their kids were so malnourished from being put on a vegan diet from birth. It's just, it's just incense, yeah. it senses me really. It, it really does. I mean, um, I, I think I've mentioned on a couple of episodes already, uh, you know, there's a, there's a city in, uh, in Scotland, Edinburgh, that's basically either has banned or about to ban uh, meat from from schools, daycares, and, uh, and and residential aged care facilities. Uh, I mean, arguably, these are the, the three groups of people that need animal-based nutrition the most. You know, they need that saturated fat. They need that animal-based protein. They need those essential amino acids. And they're now being stripped of them. Oh, you know, it just, it makes no sense. Um, you know, there's specific types of, of, of autism, which are you know, basically uh, extremely common on a plant-based diet. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's increased risk of things like depression, you know, and, and, and teenage, you know, kind of childhood mental health is just, is just on the rise, like mental health issues in kids. And yet we're giving them a diet, which is increasing the risk of these kinds of, of issues. Um, which to me is just, yeah, it's absolutely crazy that we're, and that we're encouraging this, that we are promoting this as a society, that this is, this is healthy. Um, I don't blame individual parents, you know, because I think everyone's just trying to do the best that they know how to do. And for them, presumably they think it is healthier. I don't think anyone probably is putting their kids on a vegan diet thinking it's bad for them. Hopefully that's not the case. The problem is, I think out there, it's just this, the misinformation. For me, I that's think that's it. where the issue lies. That, that's it. Um, that's exactly it. And, you know, you, you have to give your kids a chance to figure out things on their own from a nutritional perspective. And, and like you said earlier, they will tell you what they want to eat and don't <laughs> want to eat. And I'm sure those kids that parents are forcing them to go vegan, probably the first couple of sips were like, what is this? Take this back. Where's the delicious milk and breast milk that I had a few months ago? And now yeah. you're feeding me this. But until the parents said, no, you must drink that and you have to drink it now. It's, um, yeah, we could learn yeah. a lot from kids. Absolutely. I mean, obviously not everybody breastfeeds, of course, and that's absolutely mm -hmm. fine. Although we, we do know evidence does suggest that, that breast milk is, is best for babies. But I know some people, of course, do struggle with that. Yeah. Um, again, it's interesting, you know, you see plant-based diets, uh, women having a lot more issues with, with lactation, you know, with breastfeeding, the breast milk just doesn't, doesn't come in. Um, we know that plant-based diets, of course, there's a much higher risk of, uh, problems getting pregnant in the first place. Um, there's a higher risk of miscarriage. There's a higher risk of birth defects. And yet these diets are promoted as healthy. I mean, how is it healthy? for the human race, for human beings, if it's a diet that leads to fertility problems. <laughs> you know, your, your body is literally saying, I am so unhealthy that I should not reproduce. So good. <laughs> so true. <laughs> like, you know, so like at, at some point you have to kind of look at this and say, yeah, actually that actually doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, like this diet is actually unhealthy for me to the point where I I don't get my cycles anymore. You know, women on plant-based diets tend tend to have menstrual issues. You know, well, it doesn't make sense that as a human race, like why would we have weeks out of every month, you know, just in crippling pain 
for women with with menstrual issues with just bleeding like just terribly to the point where it's affecting their life uh terrible pain uh afflicted by this you know almost becoming bedbound for weeks on end terrible mood swings around their cycles how does that make sense from an evolutionary perspective you know these things are not normal yet in today's society they're just they're just treated as normal you yeah. mentioned, of course, yourself with your with your semen counts there, your sperm counts and so on. We know that uh, vegan, you know, plant based diets can affect these things as well. Again, the same perspective. How is that possibly good for you to be at a point where you're where you can't reproduce? Like that's kind of the whole point of life. I mean, ethically, whatever. Some people don't want to obviously have children, and that's perfectly fine. Some people can't have children, of course, and that's okay. But on a fundamental level, that is kind of the purpose of life really is is to is to reproduce so if we're giving people a diet that's stopping that how is that healthy <laughs> it isn't that's the bottom line it really isn't and i'm glad it, we're, ex yeah. we're expounding on it because people need to understand the consequences there there are consequences every every decision that you make in life has a consequence and you know when you're making decisions like these not only for yourself, but for your children or even your future children, it, there's going to be consequences. And we've seen the consequences of the plant-based diet now many times, again, through you talking to folks and me talking to folks, it, it is not optimal. It is not optimal in any way, shape or form. <laughs> No, it's really, it's really not. I mean, thankfully, I think the word is getting out there. Um, and I was listening to uh, Robert Sykes' Keto Savage podcast uh, the other day, driving home from work, uh, and he was mentioning about uh, you know carnivore space versus the keto space, and and he was kind of saying that carnivore seems to be getting bigger than keto was actually at, at its peak, and keto seems to be kind of dipping down a little bit now, whereas carnivore is just kind of going strength to strength to strength. So I think the word is getting out there. Uh, which is really good, and uh, it's going to take this kind of just just ground movement. It's going to be from the bottom up, not from the top down. Unfortunately, it would be good for a top down approach, but I think that's unlikely to happen anytime soon. Um, it was unfortunate that the keto space got very highly processed. You know, everywhere it got really popular, and then you went in the grocery store, and everything suddenly was keto, and it was all these processed, and again. Not to harken back to it, but a lot of almond-based stuff, a lot of nut-based things for the keto space, and people start to realize maybe this wasn't as healthy. I think when keto started in its infancy and through its formative years was a very and it's a very powerful diet to go on, especially for for folks with mental illness, as we know. But it kind of got hybridized and excuse the word bastardized and and processed, and then whereas carnivore. You can't really do too much unless you know you, they're talking about factory made meat, you know, where you're doing it. But it, it's just it's it just is what it is fundamentally. Absolutely, and I think that's that's maybe why we're seeing that drop, perhaps in that kind of low carbon keto space uh, and the rise in carnivore. Because yeah, absolutely. I mean, keto was was very popular, and then of course everybody, all these these companies started seeing the profit potential, and there's a lot of profit potential in in that kind of keto space. Um, and we know that, and all these companies are then trying to trying to jump onto that. And I think I would imagine then that people started to just not feel as good. They weren't seeing the benefits that were promised because they were buying this garbage food that was supposedly keto, rather than doing a whole food, non-artificial keto. And so then maybe yeah, it's starting to kind of wane off a little bit. Whereas the the carnivore, yeah, like you said, there's really not much you can do with with meat. I mean, meat and animal products. It is what it is. Uh, maybe eggs you can do, 
you know, like kind of pre-made liquid eggs and, and whatever, but, and I don't really recommend those, but they're still going to be reasonable, I think for you, but yeah, like a ribeye steak, like you, you can't, you can't do much with a ribeye. Like it's a ribeye or it's, or it's not, uh, and fake meat, artificial meat and so on. I mean, I think most people in the carnivore community know that's not going to be be good for them and of course their shares you know beyond meat and so forth impossible meat and all these things i mean their shares are just absolutely tanking now and and it's funny i mean i've seen memes and stuff you know through the covid pandemic of course where the only things left on the shelf were were, were the were the fake meats it's the one thing people just don't want to buy uh and i think that's really good the consumers are actually you know talking actually with their money and saying no, we actually just don't want this crap. We don't want this 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 awful food that you're trying to sell us. Um, and I think that's a pretty powerful message. And I, I think that is what's going to make the change uh, eventually, which is which is great. Um, I just want to backtrack a little bit, if we can, James. Uh, you mentioned, of course, that your wife was uh, a chef or is a chef, and she was she opened up her own vegan restaurant or vegan vegan kind of food food place. She- she did a vegan meal planning service. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, she was, was she cooking your food? Was she preparing your food for you? Yeah, she was at the time. How did that make her feel now knowing that what she was cooking you was maybe not good for you? You know, now that's an excellent question. And the first time anyone's asked me that, um, and I honestly have never really thought about that myself. It, it, I'm sure now, and looking back on it, Dr. Suresh, it really impacted her to see how sickly I was getting. And now thinking about, because she was preparing most of the foods at that time, whereas now I'm doing all the cooking for the house because I'm cooking all the meat, grilling it. Yeah. Um, it must have made her, it's a really good point. And I want to discuss that with her actually, because it must have made her feel very badly. And, you know, I have to ask her. That's a very good. I'll ask her that and get back to you and your listeners about how that impacted her. But it must have. There's no other way because to see what she thought would be healing me actually harming me, it can't help but make you feel badly. Uh, you know, you're a significant other and you're watching them deteriorate and you're going, Well, I'm doing everything that I know how possibly. Here's this. And, you know, the thing with the vegan diet and any vegetarian diet is there's so much preparation on the food, especially when she was so conscious. We ate whole food, plant-based. Another argument that I had, well, is, well, you must have not been doing the vegan diet right. I can tell your listeners, we did everything to a T when I'm talking. We went to the local farmer's markets. We juiced the vegetables we got out of the earth. We were growing our own stuff for a time. We didn't eat any processed foods. And she was juicing and baking and roasting and blanching and and still I was getting sicker and sicker. Yeah. I mean, if she's listening to this, I hope she doesn't uh, think that I'm accusing her of, of no. harming you. That's absolutely yeah. not the case. But of course, she was just trying to do everything that she thought was right at that time. Mm. Um, but I mean, it must, I know I would be extremely upset if I, uh, you know, and look, to be fair, like my kids are eating an animal-based diet now. If down the line carnivore proves to be unhealthy, um, which is unlikely, I think, to be the case. But I would feel terrible if then I, I put them on a diet that was that was harming them potentially. Um, yeah, I just thought I'd ask it because I hadn't heard you mention it before on some of your your other podcasts. Um, and uh, but I gather that she is uh, she is not vegan anymore. No, she she saw the miraculous like and and I honestly tell you, listeners, it it was a miracle. It was a miracle for me. Um, and it was a miraculous turnaround by adding animal-based uh, nutrition back in my diet. 
And, you know, she, she admitted, and she will admit if she was here, she's actually off Island at the minute visiting her family. Um, but she, she would tell the listeners that she started noticing things. You talked about the women's menstrual cycle being affected. She noticed that she noticed her hair thinning as well and skin getting very dry all the time. And, you know, itchiness and sort of psoriasis on our skin from all this high, high, highly toxic plant foods we were eating. And when she's made the switch, you, it's unbelievable the transformation she's made as a young lady. Now her, her menstrual cycle has been regulated. She feels better. She's stronger. She's exercising, going to the gym and putting on muscle as well. And she just feels, I spoke to her earlier today on the phone and she's like, I just feel and look the best. I, she said, thank you. Thank you for digging into this. She did. She said, thank you yeah. for helping me out as well, because she shudders to think, you know, her tale is different than mine of her t dietary past in that I did vegetarian for decades, as you heard, but at least she came from a background where a lot of meat was included coming from Venezuela and then the United States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it must've been hard for her actually to go vegan because the certainly Venezuela, South America, I mean, I've got a number of patients there. One particularly comes to mind. Um, and, uh, yeah, this patient, she, she's from South America and she loves her meat and, but her, her husband is, uh, not, not, he's not, it's not vegan or plant-based, but he kind of subscribes to the idea that red meat maybe isn't, you know, good for us. Uh, and this patient is having all sorts of health issues, uh, and particularly a lot of dental issues which is very interesting uh and actually i kind of suggested maybe that you want to try going on to you know more red meat and she was just like yeah <laughs> didn't need any convincing she's not gone carnivore but just more red meat and it's interesting like her dental issues are improving and just she feels better uh, i won't go into too much detail obviously for confidentiality reasons but um Carnivore is not going to fix all her issues, but it's just interesting that you know her dentition is is improving, um, and dentition is you know something that we do talk about, of course, as well. I know Doctor Doctor Anthony Chafee has spoken a lot about dentition, you know, with with vegetables and and, and animal based based diet. Um, myself personally, I mean, I've got two impacted wisdom teeth, and I had just you know kind of constant infections on one of them, partially erupted. The other one was okay. Uh, not causing me any problems, but you know the X-rays just showed severe inflammation, you know, and so on around them, and it was just kind of they always hurt, just kind of repeated infections, you know, repeatedly on antibiotics for them. And I know someone's going to say oh, you should have just had them taken out. Yeah, I know, but I didn't really want surgery. Um, went carnivore and then went back to my dentist two months after starting carnivore, and I was worried. <laughs> I was nervous because people talk about scurvy and so on. And I had all these um, kind of like just just white bits coming off my teeth. Oh, oh God, my teeth are like falling apart, you know? And like, oh my God, like what's going on? I got to go see my dentist. And I went to my dentist and he's like, no, that's just all the plaque falling off. Like your teeth are amazing. <laughs> your teeth are, are better than they've ever been in in the past like they were pretty bad before uh and i'm british so we all have bad teeth anyway but um <laughs> it, yeah he was i was really nervous and he was like no your teeth are amazing like that's just all the plaque falling off so he said whatever you're doing you know just kind of you know keep doing it but really interesting i asked him about my wisdom teeth and he did some more x-rays and said yeah all the inflammation's gone completely gone and they don't hurt anymore and he said it's impossible but 
they look like they're less impacted. I, and I'm smiling here, your listeners should know, <laughs> I'm smiling, Dr. Suresh, because you and I have exactly, exactly the same experience. I have two impacted wisdom teeth. I was constantly going to get either, I, I had a, a filling put in one at the back here and the dentist said, oh, these have got to come out, they're impacted. And I said, ah, I didn't really want the surgery. I'd seen my brother go through all his getting out and still has problems. Um, when I was vegan, my teeth were getting brittle. My gums were constantly bleeding and in pain. Um, since mm -hmm. I've gone carnivore, just like you, again, all the stuff falling off my teeth, I was like, what is going on? I went. <laughs> I remember going to floss and all this stuff was coming out. It's just all the hard yeah. <laughs> calcified plaque. And my teeth have been never been better. I don't have any pain in my jaws anymore, nothing. I don't even notice them other than, you know, I'm, they're great for eating meat these days. <laughs> Yeah. I, one thing I've also noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, and maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's just me making things up, I don't know, but my teeth are sharper. Yeah. Which is which is really interesting. And my my like I said, my wisdom tooth on this side, uh, I can feel more of it. And it's 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 coming through. Yeah. Like yeah. but it's my teeth are also sharper. And which is, which is just, it's an interesting observation. Um, just when you, you know, when, when I touch them, they just feel sharper, uh, which is very interesting. Um, I'm conscious of time, uh, cause we have been speaking for an hour and a half now, almost, uh, it's been, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you, James. It really has. Um, but, um, I do have to, 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 to go soon. I have a consult with someone, unfortunately, so I'm conscious of time. Um, is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't spoken about already? You know, this has been a fantastic opportunity, Dr. Shresh. Thank you again for having me. Um, we could we could literally talk for hours, um, and and I'd love to come back on and just discuss some of the other angles. You know, where the vegan diet sort of uh, falls a little bit, and we can talk about regenerative agriculture and. You know, um, I, the more that I dove into that space and understood, you know, with the soil recycling, regenerative agriculture and, you know, how, yes, we don't really want to have feedlots per se, but how important that having ruminant animals on our planet these days are, especially with the soil depletion. But again, I won't go into that. All I say that all to say is that my eyes, my body has healed, my mind has healed, my eyes have been opened by the carnivore diet. I want your listeners who may be, if there may be someone on the fence just listening to this for the first time that is either has a vegan or vegetarian background or is not including a lot of animal meat to just give it a try. It's one of the reasons why I recently became a carnivore coach through Dr. Baker's program. I'm now uh, consulting with folks myself in, in that capacity and, and a fasting coach as well uh, shortly, but it's, it is life-changing for folks and can be life-changing for folks. Simple dietary changes and not being afraid to make those those changes um, and, and you know, based on the dogma and the stigma that is out there, listen to your body. We've talked about listening to it from infancy and learning from our kids. And then why now, you know, in our adulthoods, are we so strictured with the, with the way we're thinking about what we're putting in our mouths, which is one of the few things we, we can control left in this world. You know, we're being, we've seen what happened during the pandemic. Just give it a chance. You will see some differences and some major ones. And, and again, thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for coming onto my channel. It's been amazing talking to you today, James. And I mean, your story is just just incredible. And I really think it, it just highlights and exemplifies the the difference between those two, you know, styles styles of eating and the dangers of potentially going down the down the plant based route. Um, I know you're on social media. 
Uh, yes, and sir. that's how I obviously got in contact with you. Maybe you can just give people, you know, your information there to how they can find you. Yeah, that would be great. Um, you can. I spend a lot of time on Instagram. It's actually where I do my little Instagram lives with my guests, and I get like getting folks on there. And you can find me there at at the underscore carnivorist with a T on the end. And the same for my YouTube channel. I, I don't think I'm ever going to get on TikTok being post fifty now. I I can't see myself <laughs> there. But um, Instagram and YouTube are the places to find me. So I appreciate folks if they want to follow me. Um, I respond to all my messages and get back to folks there. Yeah, perfect. I'll certainly put all those links in the uh, in the description, uh, of course. And and yeah, you know, James obviously got got back in touch with me very quickly. I was not expecting him to actually, so I was very grateful for you getting back to me and agreeing to to come on my show this morning. Um, I will put all your information in in the description. Um, send me a link for your uh, Rivero uh, Carnival coaching as well. We'll make sure we we put that in as well. So anyone out there obviously interested that, that wants some carnivore coaching, of course, you can go and go and check out James there with the link in the description and make sure you follow him on Instagram. Um, your Instagram is great. I mean, I've seen some of the pictures and yeah, the, the difference, you can just see it, you know, the difference yeah. in your health. You can just see it. Uh, it really is very, very obvious. Uh, thank you so much, James. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I would love to get you back on a channel at some point more at another time. There's so much more I feel that we could talk about. Uh, I feel like we could just go for hours and hours and hours, but maybe that might be a bit too long for for one sitting. So, well, um, I tell you what, I tell you what, Doctor Suresh, I I am officially <laughs> inviting you to come on Instagram Live with me. So I will reach out to you because I know my listeners sure. would, would get a huge amount of benefit from listening to you. So I appreciate you and thank you again. No, you're very welcome. I'd absolutely love to. So. Uh, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show, James. And thank you for all my listeners uh, out there that's been listening to this on the podcast and watching this on YouTube. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you for this. Li thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are interested in improving your own, okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meet Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeekmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50 off. That's code 50 off, five zero off, O double -F, F for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.